0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. This is definitely not uh, the bajillionth take I've had trying to start off the podcast. Your boy is tired. Your boy has been working hard, and I am bringing you a very special one today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This is the show, obviously, with zero credentials. That's, you know, ramping up the amount of takes it's putting out. starting to be prolific with the amount of takes I'm putting out because it's almost football season, baby. But on today's show, we have got the Lions Bringing back entertainment to hard knocks. Uh, Tom Brady taking a vacation because, I mean, why not in the middle of training camp when you're 45? And I kick off the segment to end segment season until next year. I mean, it's still going to have to do something in the offseason. But it is an overflowing pod today, more so than usual. So, without any further delays, let's do a quick rundown of the headlines before we get into that big-time segment. The headlines. Starting off, we have got Dan Campbell making hard knocks great again. Uh, That phraseology I'm sure will piss a couple people off, but you know what? It tickles me pink to make you uncomfortable sometimes. So, here we are. Anyways, lots of passionate man, tears, and sentences tagline with man in episode one. And honestly, didn't watch a single second of it live. I mean, one thing is undeniable though. Lions brought the entertainment back to Hard Knocks, baby. I mean, some of the highlights here, I mean, starting off the show, Dan Campbell and Jamal Williams with the back-to-back bangers in the motivational speech department. Uh, Worth noting, however, from a player-slash-coach perspective, uh, Pat McAfee and Chuck Picano, obviously a former player, former coach there, uh Bo stated in an interview that uh Jamal Williams probably could have kept that one in the back pocket until a regular season game. Maybe you know, when they're down at halftime at some point, you can you can pull out the, the passionate man tears. But everyone agrees that Bo's speeches were absolutely electric. Dan Campbell saying, I only fucking think about you, man. I'm I'm fucking laying in bed at night thinking about you guys, man. Be better tomorrow. I mean, it was fucking it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, possibly the greatest rookie show performance on record, uh, singing Billie Jean, which I, this might be a Two Americas situation. I did not know that song. Either way, just going to keep moving past that one. One player in the second row got so amped up about it, uh, he had to rip his shirt off just to enjoy the uh, enjoy the spectacle a little bit more as my dog walks away because my, uh, my voice is just too loud for her. You know what? You can't please everyone, am I right? Um, anyways... Electric performance by Aiden Hutchinson. Highlight of the show for me, quite honestly. Deuce Staley and Aaron Glenn showing a real glimpse of the competitive atmosphere between coaches on opposite sides of the ball in practice. I mean, they were going at each other. They were trash talking. uh, On (laughs) PFT, uh, brought up a a PFT commenter that is brought up a pretty good point. Don't really know how much uh, actual coaching was going on there, but it was also absolutely awesome to watch and from what i've heard that seems to be pretty typical across the league with most teams so like this is exactly serving the purpose that hard knocks was meant to serve which is taking the fans inside of what an actual practice looks like i mean maybe maybe it's a little bit more intense than than usual in the in the lions practice facility but that's from from what i've heard among the good teams you got some competitive fire like that i mean i can almost guarantee that sort of dynamic plays itself out in Steelers lock maybe not Steelers locker room but on the Steelers practice field I know they build a very competitive atmosphere over there. Um, definitely the Patriots out well maybe maybe less so the Patriots I think they're probably more about business than, than talking shit generally. But that that's all to say I mean this is a real taste something that Hard Knocks more than previous editions this edition has been able to capture the essence of what a typical practice. Uh, looks like more than just about any other season before it thus far. I mean, really tickled to death at what we've seen from Hard Knocks thus far. Um, other other things that happened in the first episode, Jared Goff can't escape Hard Knocks. This is his third appearance, uh, was on it twice with the Rams, now with the Lions. Um, apparently, they just don't want him talking at all. I think he was only like... He was only in there in passing, like like one time, and not literally in passing. I think they showed him in drills a couple times, but like just talking, he just you know had a bit of a, a press conference quote, and then they just kept him moving. Apparently, NFL Films has just decided that Jared Goff, Jared Goff, very attractive man, very tall man, just uh, not a very interesting person uh, to talk to on the show. Maybe that's going to change in the second episode. I honestly have no idea because I'm not going to watch it. But uh, outside of that, uh, Dan Campbell talks about drowning opposing teams in the ocean. Awesome. Awesome. Just holding their head under the water till they stop moving. Um hopefully that wasn't a public confession from Dan Campbell. I mean, I he seems like a good guy. I'm not saying that he would hold a guy's head underwater until he died, but he did just, you know, perfectly describe in detail what it drowning a human being would be like. I mean, it does seem a little bit suspect to me. Either way, uh, I think that this was also after that on the same day Dan Campbell doing up downs with the team and like absolutely dying afterwards unable to unable to break out the team afterwards he just like had someone else break out for him I mean hey gotta love Dan Campbell's intensity in this one Dan Campbell brought I mean it was basically the Dan Campbell episode like they had a whole biopic on him and all that sh- at all that stuff essentially but uh, yeah hopefully I mean I can't imagine that I mean He's he's the he's the cash cow for the entire season at this point. You can't have less Dan Campbell going on. I hope we see more Deuce Staley and Aaron Glenn, uh, absolutely ripping into each other in, in the practices, uh, talking shit constantly. I love that dynamic. Love to see it. Uh, love to see the the clips afterwards on the internet rather than watching it live because here. Your boys too much of a cheap ass to go get uh, HBO. I mean, let, let's call it like it is. It is what it is here. But uh, some wrapping this up with a few fun quotes, both from from Dan Campbell. Uh, one, I swear to God, I'm not a lunatic, man. That was that was a fun one from the uh, initial passionate speech that he had. Um, another one from a different speech that I did not actually catch the video of, but I caught this quote. Uh, doesn't matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes. I will beat your ass. <laughs> I, I mean, what more is there to say about that one? I mean, just think about think about the picture that Dan Campbell just painted there. Guy's got one ass cheek, three toes, which at the very least means dude is walking around with a cane, and he is certainly not running. Um, so you're just walking up to this guy who's basically crippled. Being like, fuck you, man. I'm gonna beat the shit out of you, and then just beating the shit out of him. I mean, we'll have to. Dan Campbell's made some seriously questionable quotes as far as uh, inflicting violence on other human beings. Love to see it from a football coach, though, more. Um, hope to see even more of this as the hard knock season goes on. Again, I cannot stress enough, I will not be watching this live. I have better things to do with my time. I, I like to. Unwind at the end of the day. Maybe play some video games. You know, watch watch a show here and there. Which you know, that, that that's basically a lie. I don't I don't hardly watch shows. But I, I I can't be out here just staying up late watching Hard Knocks. I mean, I got to get up early in the morning to work. You know, it's some some people got work in the morning. Also, some people ain't paying for HBMO? Yeah, that, that's definitely that's definitely a uh, an acronym right there. H B M O for sure. Either way, with that terrible fuck up of the H B O name. Uh, let's just move on to a quick rundown of the rest of the headlines here. First off, uh, Browns have caught a bad case of the injury bug. Uh, starting center Nick Harris tore his ACL last week. Then his bass, his bass up. Wow, yeah, his backup Dawson Deaton tore his ACL uh, on Monday of this week. That was confirmed, I believe, either this morning or last night at some point. Um, so before the second preseason game even kicks off, the Browns are on their third string at. Probably the most important position on the offensive line, uh, which is a unit that this team is essentially built around. Uh, not good news up front for sure. Uh, and in addition to that, though, all pro returner uh, who was expected to take a more prominent role in the receiving game, Jakeem Grant tore his Achilles last week. Uh, he will also be out for the season. So a lot of key injuries along the offensive line. Uh, we'll have to see just. How vulnerable that that center of the offensive line, how uh, how clean the snap is throughout the year. In addition to all that, uh, obviously the team hopes that those are the last of the major injuries, but what they've lost in addition to that looming uh, Deshaun Watson suspension may be enough to derail the Browns' playoff hopes for this season. I mean, they are in the NFC North where Bengals just went to the Super Bowl. Ravens still have Lamar Jackson. The Steelers are still the Steelers at the very worst They'll go. They'll be right there at 500. I think with what Tomlin has in there, um, probably going to end up being around like nine and eight, ten and seven. Depends how Kenny Pickett plays when he eventually takes over there. But that's all to say. I mean, the Browns. There's no cupcakes in the division. I mean, it's all it's all teams that can beat you at any given time. Uh, and right now, it feels like the Browns may have one of the better defenses in the division. But overall team if you're going to pick one team to finish in last in the NFC North right now, after all of these injuries and and all the teams in the NFC North are relatively strong, this, this Browns team is got to be uh, in last place right now. It also have not played a single game in the regular season. So who's to say, I mean, they, they do still have Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the exterior of their, their offensive line is still intact. They've still got the, the the bang-up group of guys that they had there last year. So, I mean, maybe this is a bit of an overreaction. We'll have to just wait and see on that one. Moving down the list, though, speaking of that Deshaun Watson, Roger Goodell had some strong words for Deshaun Watson in a press conference last week. Uh, He called Watson's actions predatory, quote, uh, and pushed for a full season suspension. A bit of a stronger response than I personally expected. i think you all remember me saying I think I kind of expected it to be up to about 10 games. Uh, still no guarantee that it won't be up to about 10 games or 12 games. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, it seems like Goodell's side and, and Watson's side are working on a, a settlement to bring this to a close. Uh, whether that's going to be a full year suspension or a little bit less than that, I would, I would venture to guess uh, if they're settling it, Watson's team won't settle for a full season. They will probably settle for... Twelve games, uh, maybe maybe ten games. that The NFL is feeling a, a little bit more lenient, I suppose. You could say. Um, bottom line here is still got a big PR coup out of this whole situation. If you're the NFL, you come out looking like you know you care about the the, the well being of women, uh, all of all of that stuff, all that good PR stuff that you can you know hang up there, even if it isn't necessarily congruous with reality or, or the way they've handled situations in the past. Either way, ongoing situation, I would assume that that's going to be resolved before the regular season starts because there's there's no way. I mean, the, the Browns even started Deshaun Watson in a preseason game and the, the whole the whole stadium, whole opposing stadium, chanted, you sick fuck. So, you know, it, it's going well for Deshaun Watson so far. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Uh, hopefully it continues to go like that for him because, well, I've already stated my views on that whole situation. Not a whole lot left to say there until it it all gets resolved. The settlement comes down. Either way, moving down the list, we have got Tom Brady. Uh, He will be away from the team until next week. I think it's the 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Ian Rappaport was talking about him expected to be back in in camp. Um, Reportedly not a medical issue or a family emergency. Just seems... Uh, to be spending time with his family, which, when you're the greatest QB of all time, you can be afforded that kind of leeway with training camp. I mean, this is his 23rd, 24th training camp. Uh, he's running, uh, well, the the same system as he has the last two years with Tampa Bay. Um, similar system to what he's run basically his entire career. He Outside of building rapport with some of the new guys that came in there, not really a whole lot of reason for for Tom Brady to be at camp right now. Uh, you still got some time when he comes back to, to round into form, get that chemistry there before day one. Um, ultimately, it, it's an unusual situation, but when it comes to comes time to open the season, I don't imagine the absence will have a whole lot of bearing on what direction the team takes. Quite frankly. Um, moving on, Roquan Smith officially off the pup list. Uh, he's now holding in. Um, yeah, that that basically just means he's showing up to practice. Um, he's healthy. He can practice. He's refusing to practice, though. You'll remember last week um, he did request a trade from the Chicago Bears. So interesting to see what happens there. Who, who's to even say? Uh, the big sticking point right now for Roquan Smith is if he is. Well, sorry. He is representing himself, which makes things a little bit complicated for him as far as reaching out to teams and saying, let's get this done. Let's let's make this a destination I go to. Uh, Since he's a current player, he can't reach out to teams. He can't do business and try to find a trading partner. The team has to do that. So that makes it, I mean, it it makes it very unlikely that Roquan Smith actually finds a destination. And if the Bears do find a destination, it makes it, Highly likely, in my mind, that's a destination that isn't necessarily the most favorable for Roquan Smith to step into. I mean, Roquan Smith is a good enough linebacker, a great enough player to where he can step in and basically improve every single defense that he steps into. But, that being said, if the Bears are picking... Where he goes, they're just selling him off to the highest bidder. That highest bidder might not necessarily be the one that uh, is best suited for his talents. Let's just say. But again, another another developing situation. Have to wait how that turns out. I can't imagine it gets resolved uh, before the season opens. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Um, moving down the list, head coach Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams has signed an extension with the team Uh, team also in negotiations to lock up less need for the foreseeable future, not necessarily a surprise there Um, really it was one of those things, heard it was going to get done earlier in the offseason kind of forgot about it, it dragged on I assume they've been negotiating this whole time, I mean they're not letting either of these guys out of the building no way in hell, Uh, they've are, they've already got a championship from it. Um, Les Snead has put together a team that is talented from top to bottom. Uh, his fuck-them-pick sort of style has turned into a team that, I mean, it's top-heavy for sure, but the top is so strong. I mean, it might be able to, to carry those little chicken legs that they're left with as far as the uh, the depth of the team is concerned. Well, I mean, wait and see. I mean, it worked for them last year. Now, now that they have Matt Stafford in their uh, legit sort of top-10 caliber quarterback, uh, the the model seems to work a lot better than it did with Jared Goff. I'll just I'll just put it that way. Uh, but again, no no surprise here. Uh, GM Les Snead, Sean McVay. I think I think it's a five year extension. I'm probably just talking out of my ass on that one. Uh, but hey, Rams Rams are the Rams. They're gonna be strong going forward. What can you do? Um, the Jets moving on to the next headline. Fill a hole that Makai Becton left. Uh, signing Dwayne Brown to a two-year, $22 million deal. Uh, Brown is currently 37 years old. Uh, the last time he was seen on the field, he was a strong option at tackle. Hopefully that's still the same. I mean, tackle is one of those positions where you can you can actually play forever if you got really good technique. Um, just look at what some of the greats have been able to do uh, in the past here. Like Tyron Smith has played for a long time. Um, trying to think. Guy, guy for the Eagles. I can't quite remember his name right now. Played till he was about 38, 39. Either, either way, the point being, the point stands. Um, this is a position that you can play a long time in and play effectively. Obviously, at $11 million a year, they still think he's got something left in the tank to um, to contribute to the team. Um, I think it's a good signing. It's probably the best you can do in in the absence of Mekhi Becton. Uh, we'll just have to see how it works out for the Jets. Because in addition to Dwayne Brown signing, add a player in free agency, lose a player to injury, and it's the most important position of all. QB Zach Wilson tore his meniscus in the first Jets preseason game, uh, underwent surgery on Tuesday morning, uh, still... Have not gotten any news as to what kind of uh, what kind of procedure it was, but I mean, I haven't haven't been told differently as of yet. Uh, I assume the persistent reporting that the procedure was going to be a cut job, not a repair job, uh, is accurate. Again, we'll have to wait and see. Might um, by the time this comes out, you will know whether it's a cut job or a repair job, but. Let me just explain the two options here. Coming from personal experience, when you get a meniscus surgery, uh, the surgeon goes in with two options. One, repair the meniscus, or two, uh, cut out the damaged part of the meniscus and just let it heal the way it is. Um, If the meniscus is repaired, the recovery will take several months, probably like three or four months, something like that. Uh but the long term prognosis is better as far as like knee pain goes. Uh you got more you got more cartilage there in, in the first place. You get to you get to save the knee for a little bit longer essentially. Um if it's if the meniscus is just cut out, uh, the recovery time is just a few weeks a whole lot faster. But again, from a personal experience, speaking from a very personal standpoint, in the long run you're going to run into some persistent knee pain from going bone on bone in the spot the meniscus is cut from. Trust me, take it from me personally, it's it's not a fun experience, but you get back faster, and you know you can you can go in and contribute to the team a little bit more, a little bit earlier this year. Uh, all that is to say, uh, the cut job is what the media at large is expecting out of the procedure, so the timetable is likely two to four weeks. Um, I would expect him to. Probably miss at least week one, if that is the case, uh, since the team is going to likely exercise an abundance of caution when easing Wilson back into action. If it turns out that a repair job has been performed, uh, Jets probably move Wilson over to the injured reserve, uh, designate him for a turn as he will probably be out until close to the end of 2022. Again, exercising an abundance of caution they may even end up shutting him down for the rest of the season, depending on how that 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 progresses. Again, won't know as to whether it's a cut job or a repair job until later today when I'm recording this. I mean, probably by the time I'm done recording this this particular segment, uh, I, maybe not particular segment, this particular episode, I will probably know which way it ended up going. Uh, anyways, don't know any more about that now. We'll have to wait and see. What happens with Wilson's status going forward? Either way, I would not expect him to be there for week one. Uh, up next, the Packers bring back a host of contributors from the Pup List, uh, starting with Mississippi State alum Elton Jenkins, uh, tight end Robert Tunyon, and rookie wide receiver Christian Watson all activated off the Pup List uh, after, after passing their physicals on Sunday. All signs point to that trio playing week one, but no announcements have been made on that front just yet. Uh, Packers fans still await good news on David Bakhtiari as he remains out recovering from a long-term knee issue that has plagued him for well over a year at this point. I mean, it has been an absolute slog, an absolute journey, an absolute adventure to get him back from that, uh, from that ACL that he tore way back when, a long, long time ago at this point. Uh, at this point... Who even knows what what David Bakhtiari is gonna end up looking like when he comes back, or when he's even gonna come back? Um, it's gonna be hopefully a big uh, a big boost for that Packers offensive line when he does come back. But if it's anything like it was last season, it's still gonna be a while until he gets there. So again, in a, in a holding pattern with that one. Really good news as far as Jenkins, Tunyon, and uh, Christian Watson. Coming off the pup list, though, all those guys should, in theory, be ready for Week One. Just kind of seeing, seeing the progression. I doubt, I doubt they'll play a whole lot in preseason, but Week One certainly seems within grasp. Uh, and moving out into non-football news to finish out the headlines here, uh, Serena Williams announced she will retire following the U.S. Open. Made her announcement in an article published by Vogue last week. Uh, Williams, who is quite possibly the greatest tennis player who's ever lived at this point, uh, has won 23 majors in her illustrious career. Um, if she doesn't win the U.S. Open, which she's not had a whole lot of momentum in the last couple majors, she's won, uh, not counting her out. Maybe she's got a little bit left in the tank to go win one to finish it out. That would be a great way to finish the career. But right now, 23 majors, she is just one behind Margaret Court for the most in women women's tennis history. Even being one behind Margaret Court, I think there is a general consensus that Serena Williams is probably the greatest women's tennis player that ever lived. Maybe even the greatest tennis player overall of all time. That being said, when it's all said and done, Novak Djokovic is going to have quite an argument of his own. I'll just put it that way. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Serena Williams on a, a illustrious career. Um, I'm, I'm sure she will have absolutely no problems fading into retirement, and uh, just being a mom from here on out. It seems like something she's definitely passionate about. So, finishing out the headlines now. Uh, Finally, Fernando Tatis got hit with an 80-game suspension for PEDs. I'm not saying finally. Finally, because it's the last headline. Not finally, like I was waiting on Fernando Tatis to get hit with an 80-game suspension. But, that being said, Fernando Tatis did get hit with an 80-game suspension for PEDs. You said it was a medication for ringworm. I'm calling bullshit on that one. That's probably not true, Fernando. And I don't think your teammates really believe it either. Uh, the team was less than supportive, referring to uh, lost trust. And a teammate, Mike Clevenger in particular, uh, was adamant that the Padres have enough in the clubhouse without Tatis to make a run. Interesting uh, Interesting little, little side thought here. I mean, with Fernando Tatis getting suspended a rather cold reception from his teammates, not not really a whole lot of support there, especially being a PED sort of suspension. And, and due to the fact that they're about to make a stretch run, talked about it before over the last couple weeks. I mean, the Padres are right there looking to win a World Series either this season or next season. Fernando Tatis getting suspended for the stretch run is not going to help that at all. Um, but with Juan Soto's looming contract extension, This could this could present an opportune moment to trade Tatis, clear the room for a big time offer to lock Soto up for the duration of his prime years. He's gonna he's gonna command probably over four hundred million. The the numbers I've heard just kind of like ballparking it are probably around like four hundred fifty million. You offload the three hundred million from Fernando Tatis, that clears up a whole lot of room to at least give Soto a competitive offer. And if the, if the Padres can keep Soto in town for the, for the length of his prime, I mean, sky is the limit. Ceiling is the roof for what this uh, Padres team can do. But with that said, we have burned through the headlines here. There was a lot of them, but I got through them real fast because it is the segment season to end segment season. It's segment season. Yes, sir. I have got a double division preview for y'all, starting with the South. And that is right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm doing one today and then one on Friday. We are switching surprise to two episodes a week here. I mean, I was probably going to save it for the end of the episode. I really didn't plan on this being two episodes up until I started working on this. But uh, yeah, we're just doing one division per over the next couple couple weeks here, we are just under a month away from the start of the season. So, with four episodes left or four weeks left, rather, uh, before the season opener, including this one, um, I thought now would be an excellent time to do an in depth preview of each division in the league. So, you know, I'll go through each team, look at their rosters, identify uh, what I see as their strengths and weaknesses, reasons for optimism, pessimism, uh, based on camp thus far, and you know, their rosters and stuff like that. Uh, Then once I've gone through each team in the division, I'll make a determination as to who I think should be the favorite to win it this year. Uh, Since there's only four weeks left uh, to do it in before the season starts, uh, we'll be going through uh, two per week based on the direction, uh, doing the south this week, east next week, west week of the 31st and finally finishing off with the North on the eve of opening day uh, because selfishly I want to save the NFC North for last. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's my show. I'll, I'll structure it how I want to. Uh, but with that said, laid that all out for you. I'm starting with the AFC South today, got the NFC South on Friday and then moving on accordingly from there. Surprise, surprise, we are starting that two-a-week episode uh Two episode a week grind early. Uh, this week it's turned my brain to mush. Next week I will structure my work better, so I'm not coming to you with a big old mush brain. I'll just put it that way. But now that I've laid out the essentials for you, let's hop straight into our first set of uh, divisions. Uh, we're really just the the one division here as of today. Uh, as we examine the AFC South, the AFC South. And starting off the South, we have got, I mean, just going in divisional standings from the end of last year, starting off with the Titans. Uh, on offense, they lost A.J. Brown in a draft night trade to the Eagles, uh, cut key contributors like uh, Julio Jones, which, I mean, I, I guess he was a key contributor. I think he was more of a key addition than a key contributor than anything else, but um, Cut guard Roger Saffold and cut offensive tackle Kendall Lamb, who was a contributor last season uh, in the rotation of the offensive line. But they brought in some young talent, drafting Traylon Burks in the first round and uh, taking Chigo Conquo and in, in running back Hastan Haskins in the fourth round. Uh, you may remember Oconquo running the fastest 40 among tight ends in the class at a robust 4-5-2. That's a guy that you can move around uh, expect him to be used frequently and creatively. Um, maybe not a maybe not a tailor-made version to what Taysom Taysom Hill provides you, but a guy at four-five speed, you can use him like a. I mean, to use a, a Tennessee tight end from the past, use him like a Delaney Walker who can has that has that freakish athleticism where he can run faster than the usual tight end. Um, Excited to see how they use him to maybe stretch the field a little bit more, be, maybe some pre-snap motion just to take advantage of what the defense provides. Um, Haskins, the other guy I was just talking about, uh, provides a team with a backup to Derrick Henry outside of Dontrell Hilliard, uh, who plays with much of that same tone, hard physical running. Uh, so no let up for the defense when Henry or Hilliard take a breather. Um, that Now you got a three-headed monster in the backfield. It's pretty clear what the uh, the Titans are trying to build their team around more than anything else. Um, They also brought in a few veterans trading for standout wide receiver uh, from the Rams, Robert Woods, almost said Robert Griffin, definitely not a wide receiver, definitely still not in the NFL, but I digress. Robert Woods got traded from the Rams to the Titans over the offseason, also signed or re-signed a a bevy of solid contributors, including uh, tight end Austin Hooper, uh, starting center Ben Jones, backup running back Dontrell Hilliard, who I made mention of earlier when talking about the backfield, uh, and backup tight end Jeff Swame, Jeff with a G, that is interesting, interesting spelling of the name, but you got, you know, both the tight ends back, plus you your Adnan Chigakonkwo, deep tight end room there. Uh, they've also still got Derek Henry, an, incoming, an incumbent quarterback, easy for me to say, Ryan Tannehill, who has statistically... Dropped off from his hot start a couple years ago with the team, but still provides the stability on offense. Uh, good decision-making that the Titans need right now, especially building that offense around the running game. More than anything else, you need a guy in there that's not going to completely shoot the team in the foot, and that's exactly what Tannehill provides the Titans here. Overall, there's a lot of questions with his, uh, this newly rebuilt uh, receiving core. But they're talented, they're versatile, a uh, creative offensive game plan should be able to create yards with the tools in place. They are, however, not deep behind the uh, the top two of Woods and Burks. Uh, third receiver right now is slated to be Nick Westbrook-Akina, who, I mean, has has been a solid contributor in the past, but, I mean, he's stepping into a much more prominent role in the offense th- this season. I mean, the question is how effective will they be Hard to say, and an issue that gets less publicly or less pu- publicity rather. Uh, how will the O line perform outside of Ben Jones and Taylor Luan and uh, Nate Davis? Covered is fairly bare along that line. I mean, the lesser known guys like Dylan Rad Radunes, Dil- Dylan Dylan I, I don't know, man. At the, these offensive linemen and their the offensive linemen. Yep, these offensive linemen in their Eastern European names, man. But Dylan Radins Radunes. Either way, and Aaron Brewer, they'll have to both kind of step up their game this year, uh, play a little bit more than what they're usually used to. Uh, They're now slated in as the starting guys. We'll have to see how that works out in the long run. Um, On the defensive side, however, I may be a little biased here given the uh, distinct Mississippi State flavor on this unit, but the front seven is undeniably strong for the Titans. They've got an unproven commodity in uh, Thierry Tartt. Uh, at nose tackle, but two solid defensive ends in Danico Autry and uh, my boy Jeffrey Simmons, Hale State, and uh, proven pass rusher Harold Landry, uh, paired with a proven run stopper, Bud Dupree. Big question mark in the front seven will be the inside linebackers, Zach Cunningham and David Long Jr. are both capable tacklers, but have struggled at times in coverage. Uh, It's been a weak point in the past, and especially in the modern NFL you got to cover running backs out of the backfield. They've been kind of they've been kind of diced up in the past when it comes to that sort of stuff. So, they'll have to step up in that area in a big way if they don't want to be eaten alive by uh, the checkdown game. Big question mark for this team is the secondary. Christian Fulton seems to be developing into a solid number 1 corner and Kevin Byard is still, I mean, absolutely spectacular all-pro level sort of player, but beyond that There are a lot of question marks between Caleb Farley and Amani Hooker, uh, even more after them. I mean, they're not necessarily a a deep secondary. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you got Mike Vrabel there in place, so I would expect them to kind of uh, scheme around their deficiencies in that secondary department. Amani Hooker is still a young player, Caleb Farley as well. So there is also a chance that they can step into that role, maybe play it a little bit better than they have in the past. Either way, we're going to have to gonna have to wait and see on that front. On the back end, I mean, this unit, it still looks good. It still looks built to stop the run and get after the passer uh, with four. But if opposing offensive lines can hold their blocks, there are very exploitable holes in that secondary for this team. Um, as far as the special teams... You got Fat Randy, Randy Bullock at kicker. Uh, he's gonna miss you a couple head scratchers this season. I mean, it's just kind of the way it is with him. Uh, but he's a veteran guy, and they've got a, a long time proven player at punter in Brett Kern. Uh, that I mean, absolutely no question marks about. It. He's a he's a stud when it comes to the punting game. Uh, they're probably better off in the special teams department than most teams, if I would have to imagine. A uh, few reasons for optimism. Uh, optimistically, you've got a young, exciting receiver in Traylon Burks, uh, paired with a versatile number one receiver in Robert Woods, not to mention Derrick Henry returning to the lineup with uh, the, the couple couple backups that I just mentioned there, strong backups as well. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about for the future at the offensive skill positions, specifically pessimistically thinking. Uh, they have some glaring holes at key spots on their roster, specifically offensive line and secondary uh, without serious improvements from the incumbent starters this team is gonna struggle to get the 10 wins um again we'll we'll just have to wait and see that's gonna be that, that's the uh, that's the phrase of the episode maybe of the show overall is we're just gonna have to wait and see because there's really not not much else you're gonna do um that being said moving on to the next team that was you know finished second in the standings last season the Colts on offense well for one, you not only found a way out of the Carson Wentz dilemma, you got actual draft compensation for him, then turned around and acquired Matt Ryan from the Colts. Well, not from the Colts, from the Falcons. That'd be interesting if you paid draft compensation to yourself to acquire Matt Ryan. Not really sure how that would work. But that alone took the team from middling, a middling sort of team to a division title contender, maybe even a Super Bowl contender based on how the season progresses. Not to mention the Colts were probably the best situation for Matt Ryan to succeed in given his age and arm strength. By my count, uh, looking at the Colts' schedule, Matt Ryan's probably going to only have two cold weather games the entire season. That's going to be at New England in Week 9 and at the Giants in Week 17. And hey, with global warming, I mean, there's no guarantee that that Week 9 matchup will even be cold. I mean, who's to even say? I mean, it is November in Boston, so who even knows? But probably it's probably going to be cold. Who am am I even saying with, even with that though, 11 of the 17 games are going to be played indoors. Uh, If you had to put together a perfect schedule for a guy with a diminished arm uh, to succeed, you couldn't come up with a much better scenario than what he's got slated for this season right now. I mean, it is set up absolutely perfectly for Matt Ryan to succeed uh, they got a solid, consistent offensive line anchored by Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly in the middle. Uh, not to mention they had a monster backfield last year with uh, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Then added Philip Lindsay to the mix, another dose of speed in there at the third string position. Uh, one major question mark though that may hinder <laughs> Matt Ryan's performance because you know it's you know the the people that he's throwing to uh, the receiving core. A bit bare. Cupboard's a bit bare. They didn't really add a whole lot from what they had last season. Uh, they have moali Cox, who's expected to have a big year, uh, but they really only added Alec Pierce to the draft. Uh, TBD on his effectiveness because, you know, he is a rookie, a highly drafted rookie in the second round, but he is a rookie. We'll just have to see how it works. White boy wide receiver there, too. You got, don't really see a whole lot of Alex in the receiving core, but he's apparently a... I want to say sneaky athlete just because it's a funny phraseology, but I mean just a just a legit athlete. I think from what I remember, he had one of the fastest forty times among the wide receivers, and he had I think maybe the highest vertical among wide receivers. I might be wrong about that, but he is an absolute specimen of an athlete. If he can if he can have like some semblance of a uh, of a work ethic, I mean that's not that's not discounting. I really don't know anything about Alec, Alec Pierce, but if he comes in and works hard. I mean, there's no reason to think that he can't step up and uh, pair well with what they have in place. Um, But starting tight end, Jack Doyle retired. Uh, Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, and aforementioned Alec Pierce are slated to be the one through three, respectively. Uh, Maybe if Alec Pierce can step up, uh, he can take that second spot from Paris Campbell. Uh, That is also assuming that Paris Campbell stays healthy, which is... Basically like assuming that it'll be a dry day on any given day in uh, in Seattle. Um, not, not really a winning proposition. Just go look at the injury history. He's been injured every single year that he's been in the league. Hasn't really finished a season thus far. Overall, offense is built to run the ball with the recent injuries on the Browns offensive line. This Colts offensive line and this, this team on paper might have the best run game in the entire league this year. If they can consistently punish teams with the run, the lack of talent outside will be much less glaring. They'll have one-on-one opportunities galore. Guys like Alec Pierce will have prime opportunities to show why the Colts drafted him in the second round. Uh, Paris Campbell, apparently when he's on the field is absolutely spectacular. If he stays on the field, that would be an absolute plus for the Colts. Michael Pittman Jr. is going into his third year at this point. Um, Looking to step in, step well into that uh, that number one wide receiver role. Uh, was one of the favorite targets of Carson Wentz last year, but now having a more refined talent in there like Matt Ryan. A bit of a, an older head in there, a bit more of a leadership uh, role he's taken in there uh, than Carson Wentz might have in the past. We'll have to see how that that works out for him this season. Um, I do think they'll end up, you know, especially with the strength of the run game, they'll have all the opportunities in the world to uh, come in there and take advantage of the opportunities that were presented. You know, I had a bit of a brain fart there, but either way, that tells me I am at the end of the offense. Uh, moving on to the defensive side of the ball for the Colts, a bit of a shuffle across the board this offseason. Uh, they traded cornerback Rakia Sim to the Raiders for defensive end Yannick Ngakwe bit of a need-for-need need sort of thing straight up there. Uh, the Raiders got a cornerback, which I mean, if you know anything about the Raiders, boy do they need help with the secondary. Um, the the Colts ended up getting Yannick Ngakwe to strengthen their, uh, their pass rush. They needed a pass rusher uh, all last season to pair with DeForest Buckner. Seems to work out well for both teams, but obviously um, left a hole in the secondary, but Obviously left a hole in the secondary, um, which needed need to be filled. It was quickly filled, though, in free agency with the signing of Stephon Gilmore on a one-year deal. But another hole opened up with the sudden retirement of safety Kari Willis. Uh, currently undrafted rookie Nick Cross is slated to start at, starting at strong safety for them this year. Um, not really... Really, uh, that's where the biggest questions lie is in the secondary. Uh, there's a lingering... Lingering health question about Shaquille Leonard, no longer Darius Leonard, it's Shaquille Leonard. Made a slight name change in the offseason, I suppose. But hey, uh, has no timetable for return with that back injury. That's the main issue here. And the current prognosis is that the team expects him to play this season. Not to start the season, they just expect him to play this season, uh, which indicates to me that they also expect him to miss some games. We'll just have to wait and see on that. Again, phrase of phrase of the pod thus far, uh, but I mean th- that's really that's really all you can do with this back injury. You really don't know what a player is going to look like after a major back injury, especially one uh, that's been lingering like Shaquille Leonard. I am not going to get used to that one. Uh, Shaquille Leonard has been nagging him for for the longest time here. Um, overall, the front seven is very solid between Yannick and Gakway and Buckner uh, with. Young talent like Pay and Bobby Okereke expected to continue to progress. Uh, They've got a pair of solid corners in Stephon Gilmore and Kenny Moore. But ultimately, the hole at safety and the questions surrounding Leonard's health worry me. They really greatly worry me. Um, Moving on to the special teams, they've got Hot Rod at Kicker, who will probably be there for a decade given his performance thus far. And Rigoberto Sanchez, who has quietly... Already been an in indie for six seasons. That guy, I mean, really, punter a lot like offensive lineman. If you're not hearing a lot about him and he's stayed in one spot for six seasons, usually means the guy is a monster. He had, I think, just one touchback all of last season. Absolute maven at putting, putting balls inside the 20. Uh, they may have the most stable kicking situation in the entire league right now. It was the Ravens for a while between Justin Tucker and... Um, Oh boy, I forgot the guy's name. Long punter, Longtime punter for the Ravens. I'm sure there are some people just just screaming it at their uh, at their whatever the hell you're listening to this on right now. Uh, I don't know. They they had they had a punter there for a long time. Who unfortunately the name has escaped me because I've written over 20 pages uh, over the last couple days, and my brain is basically fried. But either way, very stable special team situation there. Got no. No real worry about that uh, for for the Colts here this season. They probably got the best special team situation in the entire division at the very least. Um, Reasons for optimism. Optimistically, uh, the offense looks the strongest it has since Andrew Luck left. And if Alec Pierce can step up, uh, they may have a top 10 unit on their hands right here, especially with how strong that, that run game is going to be this year. Pessimistically, though, uh, the issue on defense worries me, both both uh, the Leonard issue and the, the safety issue. Uh, yes, they have strong players to cover up the holes in the roster, but starting an undrafted rookie at safety, having your best player on the side on that side of the ball sideline for an indeterminate amount of time with a back injury—obviously talking about Shaquille Leonard—not um, not necessarily a cause for optimism in my book. Um, there's certainly reason to be worried about this Colts team. They certainly have holes, but as far as the entire team goes, I mean, it's solid. Top to bottom, really going to be hard to beat this season. Uh, moving on to the next team in the division, though, we have got the Houston Texans. And, you know, getting into this bottom half of the division, I mean, we are, we're starting to talk about some stinkers. And this is the first of them. Uh, solid young QB in Davis Mills on offense, but not a goddamn thing around him. Uh, you got Brandon Cooks, I suppose, is the number one receiver. I mean, he's a good player, but after that, it's, Nico Collins, who yeah, I've definitely heard of. That's a that's a guy that I know. Um, not to mention that Cooks isn't exactly known for being an outstanding guy to be in the locker room with. And I'm not gonna cast specific character aspersions. They're just, you know, I feel like there's a reason that a player who's as good as Cooks is has bounced around to what four teams at this point in his career and Maybe, maybe not necessarily inside information, but all the rumblings around every team he's been on is like he's hard to be around, but he's a hell of a player. So, I mean, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily a a recipe for stability and harmony in that that locker room, that receiving core, so to speak. Um, Laramie Tunsil on the offensive line, good player at left tackle, but outside of that. I mean, just a a bunch of dudes, just a bunch of guys that I don't know the name of along along that offensive line. Uh, The one and two running backs are Marlon Mack and Rex Burkhead, respectively, which I mean, hey, if that was like three years ago, you get a solid back. I mean, hell, actually with Rex Burkhead, I think you're probably talking more like five years ago. I mean, this would be a solid backfield. I mean, Marlon Mack, he's been a starting running back in the past, but I mean, Mack has been injured past his prime. Rex Burkhead, I think probably certainly certainly past his prime at this point in his career. Been kind of bouncing around from team to team. Not really a strong backfield there in addition to an offensive line. that's not particularly strong either. I don't think I need to belabor the point on this one. I, I love Davis Mills. I think he's a very solid young QB. Uh, and I also think he'll cobble together some sort of consistent level of production. But on top of that... Uh, that that level is still gonna be lower middle of the pack at the very best, I would think. He's gonna raise them above what they probably should be. Uh but the team isn't even trying to pretend that they're they're even that they even want to make the, the offense better at this point. I'm sorry, I kind of cobbled together that sentence more than anything, but uh almost feels like they don't want to win this year. Hmm. Interesting. Uh interesting little little thought there. Um Moving on to the defense, though. Sneaky okay unit, I suppose, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and D.C., Lovie Smith, just promoted to head coach, albeit in probably the most awkward way possible, after they exhausted all candidates. Uh, Brian Flores came out with a discrimination suit, and instead of hiring Josh McCown, which, again, this is like the second straight off season where they're just like, we want to hire Josh McCown, but not a single other team wants to hire him. And I mean, we need someone else in the running. Otherwise, we're gonna look bad for giving this inexperienced white guy a interview. And well, they gave him interviews, but giving him the job in general would look bad. And this is the second straight season where they're like, "All right, let's cover up the PR problem with the coolest black coach we can find." Last season, it was David Culley. This season, it is Lubby Smith and his sweet ass beard uh, promoted to head coach. But uh, you know, Lubby Smith was also promoted. After literally all the external options were exhausted, and they were just like, "Hey, we've got a black man on, on campus. Let's promote him. Why not? But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean at least he's head coach now that'll bode well for the defensive side of the ball as far as like game plan is concerned. Uh, Jerry Hughes still has some gas left in the tank in that front seven. I mean he is I mean he's been a sneaky solid player for for a long time. Uh, Christian Kirksey is a serviceable middle linebacker. They just added Derek Stingley. Uh, at the number third overall pick in the draft, which, by the way, if he stays healthy, that's the number one corner from day one right there. He is an absolute stud. He did it in college, and I think he can step in, absolutely do it in the NFL. He is something special. Uh, Steven Nelson paired opposite at cornerback, had a bit of a down year last season with the Eagles, but has been very capable in coverage throughout his career. So, I mean, that's, you know, you've at least got a solid back end there. However, outside of those guys, uh, it's a ragtag group of young players and journeymen all across this defense. Like I said before, uh, Lovey Smith, now at the head coach. So I expect the defense to play a little bit above its personnel. But yet again, I pose the question, is this team actually trying to win this year? Because the roster they've put together certainly tells me otherwise. Um, special teams wise, you got kicker Kaimi Fairbairn, who if nothing else, He's a veteran. I mean, he's he's an encumber from last year. Uh, and you got punter Cameron Johnson, who young guy, uh, also spitting image of Bill Burr. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the, the memes from last year, but I would encourage you to go look them up again because it is it is striking, absolutely striking, how similar he looks to Bill Burr. I mean, I think it's mostly just because of the baldness and the red beard, uh, in addition to the to the, the ears. I guess. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to disperse the man's looks. But, I mean, the guy looks exactly like Bill Burr, which is not necessarily something you want when you're a 23-year-old and Bill Burr is in his 40s, but I digress. He's also a pretty solid pretty solid job at punting, I suppose. I mean, it, it is what it is, you know. I, they, 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 they could have had a worse special team situation. I'll just put it that way. They're not quite at the Colts, but they're also not, like, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel either. Special teams aren't necessarily what worries me. Uh, optimistically, I mean... Got Derek Stingley and a you know a, a young QB. That's got it's got to count for something, right? You know that, that, that's something. Uh, pessimistically, everything um, outside of those two. You know Derek Stingley. Uh, you know Davis Mills. Maybe throwing Laramie Tunsil there. He's a nice nice uh young tackle in his prime. Uh, but yeah, this roster is clearly not built to win. I've alluded to it a couple times in reviewing this team. Uh, the Texans are still in the midst of a tank job and uh, taking this year as a trial year for Davis Mills, quite obviously, uh, if he doesn't pull up, perform up to standard this year, I mean, well, it, it's a deep QB class to choose from in the next year's draft. And if he doesn't perform up to standards, that's the only thing that's pretty much going to keep them from being a, a, you know, a top five pick next year. So the, the, the decision will essentially make itself if they get to that point, um, I don't see the Texans finishing uh, outside of the top 10 picks. If they do, it's going to be credit to, to what Davis Mills brings to the table. Uh, and rounding out the AFC South, we have got the Jaguars. Uh, you know, the the lowly, lowly Jaguars. Uh, Finger City last year with, with uh, goddamn, Urban Meyer at, at head coach. Man, my brain is absolutely fried today but uh, on offense couldn't get a whole lot worse than what they put out there last year. I mean, they were running a um, 90s early 2000s style offense with like absolutely zero movement in an era that really necessitates that you have an offense with a whole lot of pre-snap movement, a whole lot of reading what the defense does, how they react to those pre-snap movements, all that stuff. They didn't they just they just decided we're just going to keep it simple, stupid. And I think that was a lot of uh, a lot of what uh, Urban Meyer brought to the table last season, but overhauled much of last year's offense throughout the off season. They brought in Doug Peterson as the new head coach, who I assume will also run the offense, call the plays Um, him being in place obviously means you're not going to hire the offensive coordinator away because the offensive coordinator is the head coach. And once you've got a head coach in the national football league, I mean, unless you're Doug Marone and just think you're going to get a new job right away, you don't give that shit up for fucking anything. Not a, not a goddamn thing at this point. Um, So Doug Peterson will be there. That's going to provide a lot of stability in the offense, Uh, scheme stability, particularly for Lawrence, as long as they keep Doug Peterson around for a few years, Uh, that'll actually allow him to develop. Unlike the clown show he was surrounded by last year. I mean, it plain and simple, it was a lost year in his rookie year, just based on what was around him, uh, the injuries he had in preseason. We'll get to get to a few of those here in a second. Um, Overall, He's stepping into a situation where he's returning for his second year, stepping into an actual NFL offense. Um, This year should be more reminiscent of what Trevor Lawrence uh, can bring to the table athletically, um, decision-making-wise. I'm not sure we really learned a whole lot of anything from his play last year, other than, I mean, even a transcendent sort of talent can't overcome that sort of terrible situation. Um, Outside of Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, though, Travis Etienne, the second the second first-round pick uh, from last year's draft, is coming back from a preseason ACL tear last season. Uh, James Robinson, you may remember him as really, a, I mean, he was a very productive player before Urban Meyer came to town. Uh, still a very good player, just Urban Meyer decided Carlos Hyde was the way to go and not James Robinson for some reason. Um, but. James Robinson will be backing him up, which is a hell of a sec- second option out of the backfield. If, if nothing else, they've got a very, very solid backfield. They also signed Christian Kirk to a contract that I think infuriated just about every uh, GM in the league and kind of totally fucked up the uh, the wide receiver market as far as like what they're paid. I mean, I'd say fucked up. I th- love it. Get your money, guys. I mean, just get as much as you can. Christian Kirch- Christian Kirk's agent Got, I mean, steak dinners for life after this one. I'm not sure Christian Kirk was worth what they paid him, but he certainly got that contract. And honey, go take your money, take your money, sir. Uh, but hey, you got Christian Kirk uh, signs Zay Jones from the Raiders, solid, solid other wide receiver, and you got Evan Ingram in free agency from the Giants. If he can stay on the field, that's an absolute difference maker, game changer in the passing game, um, for this for this Jaguars offense. They really haven't had in the past year for quite some time. Um, That'll give Lawrence a whole lot of weapons to work with. Um, I mean, I can't imagine there's really a whole lot there in the first place. But in addition to what they had there last year, uh, he'll get a whole lot of help with all the new guys they brought in. The big issue, which has really been the issue in Jacksonville since time immemorial, uh, is the offensive line. Cam Robinson, who just a few short seasons ago we were considering a spectacular bust uh, is anchoring this unit? I guess we're just kind of all tacitly accepting that that he is a guy that you can you can build an offensive line around. Uh, we'll, again, phrase of the podcast. We'll have to wait and see on that one. He has he's had a good couple of years, but just signed a big contract extension. Usually, when these guys sign big contract extensions, I mean, it goes either one of two ways: you either perform up to that contract or you got your money and now you are absolutely coasting from here on out with how Cam Robinson's career started. I cannot just, I can't just assume that he's going to just play well, play free after getting this contract extension. Uh, this is a big, big question mark. In addition to that, Brand Scherf is probably the next best guy. Then it's a bunch of names that I'm wholly unfamiliar with. Uh, it really doesn't matter. I mean, it, If you look at just the skill positions, just take those into account. This offense has the bones to to make a big leap from where it was last season, but I'll tell you what, the dearth of talent on that line will end up holding this unit back from really turning heads when it's all said and done. Ultimately, I still think adding Doug Peterson and all the the, the skill position help that they got really going to be a middle-of-the-pack offense, way better than they were last year. But without a strong offensive line, without a, a push in the run game specifically, uh, and obviously good pass protection, it's it's hard to see this Jaguars offense really getting too, too far when it's all said and done. Uh, that's all for the offense. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball for the Jags. Front seven-wise, respectable. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, don't recognize a single name along the defensive line. Uh, but they have the solid linebacker group Josh Allen on the outside the linebacker not the quarterback Uh, Foyasade Oluwakun signed a big contract last season say that name five times fast and uh, first round rookies Trayvon Walker that's the first overall pick in fact and Devin Lloyd uh, will round out that linebacker core he got a, a young Talented group there, highly paid group there with, well, one highly paid guy with Foyasade Oluokun. Uh, I think I'm nailing that name. Either Here's the thing, I'm either nailing that name or I am completely butchering that name to the, the highest possible extent. Either way, I'm going for on that one. Uh, but big wait and see game with Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd. That'll probably kind of dictate how good their run, their run uh, defense is when it's all said and done. Uh, the lack of recognizable names in the defensive line is certainly worrying. Uh, the secondary, though, for all the problems that the, the front seven has with the D-line is an abject mess. I mean, plain and simple, uh, they've got Darius Williams and Shaquille Griffin, who are solid rotational players, but not who you want starting on the outside at cornerback, both of those guys. Uh, and they've got two guys I've literally never heard of starting at safety and Rayshawn Jenkins and Andre Cisco. Overall, I would I would be willing to put money on the fact that this is going to be uh, a bottom of the bottom half of the league sort of unit. Uh, the front seven is young and talented, but that's just about all they've got going for them right now. Um, I I mean it's it's hard to hard to see them finishing too too high in the league. Uh, all I know is when I see a vaunted offense that's going against. This this Jaguars team, I'm probably going to bet on some players on that offense. I'll just I'll just put it that way. Moving on to the special teams, well, you know, Urban Meyer kicked Josh Lambeau into skipping skipping town, uh, so the kicking duties fall to journeyman kicker Ryan Santoso. Uh, Santoso, you could say, far from a proven product, uh, he's been with three teams in as many seasons. Starting with the Titans in 2019, was unemployed for the pandemic in 2020. I mean, I guess joined the club there uh, and playing four games with the Panthers and Lions last season. Uh, he's going to combine four of five for his entire career over three seasons and has missed two extra points in eight attempts. So, good luck. They do have one one of the best young punters in the league, though. In Mississippi State grad Logan Cook, I went to the I went to Mississippi State at the same time. And I'm not sure I ever realized that he was going to be an NFL punter, but boy, that dude fucking booms balls, man. I will tell you what, he is, you know, a good punter to watch, a good punter to have on your team. Uh, proud of him for getting that money this offseason, or was it last offseason? I think he got he got signed to an extension this offseason where he's making uh, millions of dollars now. So, I mean, good for him. Love to see fellow Mississippi State grads getting that money. Uh, also worth noting that Jamal Agnew returned a kick for the for a touchdown last season at one point. So I mean, hey, that might be a, a weapon for him. That being said, I think he ended up getting about 24 yards per return, which I mean, if if you're doing the math at home, that means you're finishing about a yard and some change short of of, of what you would get from just kneeling the ball in the end zone for a touchback. Mixed bag here, but that kicker situation, I'm I'm not optimistic about. I'm not convinced that Ryan Santoso is going to end the season on this Ram squad. Something tells me he's going to miss some kicks and they're going to be going to someone else at some point in the season. Uh, reasons for optimism. Optimistically, uh, at the very least, you've got a proven offensive guy, offensive mind and Doug Peterson, plus a host of new weapons to allow Trevor Lawrence to actually develop after what was essentially a lost rookie year. I mean, bottom line, Really had nothing around him, had no help whatsoever. Had an organization that was a complete mess, a coaching staff that was a complete mess, a guy that had no idea what he was doing. Now you've got an actual NFL team around him. You can actually have like some semblance of a normal rookie style year. Obviously, it's it's his second year. You're never going to get that rookie year back, but you can start from scratch basically this year and have some stability with Doug Peterson there at the uh, at the head of the offense. Uh, pessimistically, though, secondary stinks, bottom line. And uh, offensive line is anchored by a universally untrustworthy performer uh, just a few short years ago. Uh, much like the Texans, I don't think this roster is built to truly win this season. I think they're kind of, I mean, maybe not tanking necessarily, but they're they're gunning for that bottom end of the top 10 uh, low teens so they can keep acquiring talent. Probably, if I had to guess, based on their their there are holes in the roster. Probably going to draft one of the better offensive line pro- products in the next draft. Uh, maybe some secondary. Probably a good idea. Maybe maybe do some uh, spending in free agency on the defensive side of the ball next time around. But that is all for the Jaguars. Uh, who is the favorite? The question of the episode here. The favorite in the division. It's the Jaguars. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. It's the it's the Indianapolis Colts. The Jaguars. Jaguars won't be good this season, but every team in the division has holes, but for the four team, of the four teams, the Colts have the most complete roster in spite of all the question marks that are there. They've got the best QB in the division than Matt Ryan, the best running game in the division, uh, the best running back, yeah, I said it, with Jonathan Taylor, and the best offensive line in addition to all of that stuff. The, the defense has a pass-rushing front seven and a tandem of corners who can cover up the deficiencies in the back end. The Colts enter this season as a comfortable, not unassailable, but a comfortable favor to take the AFC South, even with the, the, the lack of new talent, new blood in there on the uh, on the receiving core. I think with the the strength of the running game, like I said before, uh, Matt Ryan's going to cover up a lot of those deficiencies in the receiving core. He's going to have a lot of opportunities, too, because he's not going to be put in situations where he'll have to have to test that arm of his but either way I think the Colts are, are gonna I mean I've obviously I think I picked them in my way too early pred- predictions to win the division but this time around as far as like an odds-on favorite the Colts have got to be right there at the top of the division and with that said that wraps up the AFC South so I am cutting off this episode right here um, I I had this had this little line in here like, hey, surprise, I'm going to two episodes a week prematurely this fall because I may or may not have underestimated the, just how long it would take to preview one whole division. And if I don't complete all the divisions by opening day, what even is the point of this putting, putting this out? I mean, you know, had that there, kind of stumbled through that whole point there. But that is all to say, this will be a, a Wednesday, Friday episode sort of week for y'all. We'll wait and see for next week uh, just what the schedule is going to be. I might switch to Tuesday and Thursday just to keep it Congruous with what the season's going to be. Might just keep it Wednesday, Friday. We'll we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Again, phrase of the episode, probably phrase of the next episode I'm going to record directly after this, but we'll wait and see for the next week. But yeah, kicking off the two per, per week grind, two episode per week grind a little bit early. Uh, this probably won't come back to bite me in the ass later on, you know. It is, it is what it is. Anyways, that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five star rating. I mean, hey, if you enjoyed, congratulations. I mean. By, by all means, at this point, go take a break. This was a lot of information. I just burned through there in about an hour and some change. Go take a break. Go drink a cup of coffee. Drink a cup of tea or something like that before you crack into the second episode. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a day between episodes, so you're going to have some time to catch up here. But if you're, you're listening to these back-to-back back, back, to back I mean, your eyes might glaze over here at some point just based on all the information I'm throwing at you and the speed with with, my, with which my lips and tongue are moving on this day. Uh, probably a little bit dizzy. And go take a break. Go 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 out in the backyard. Go go walk the dog, you know? Go, go hug that sweet, sweet pup that you love oh so much. Maybe I'm just projecting my personal experience. Either way, I, I got lost there. If you enjoyed, subscribe. Leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy. If you didn't enjoy it, just keep removing, my guy. I mean... What, what what does it do for you to give me a bad rating? Uh, but like you know, tell people it was good anyways. Not only not give me a bad rating, tell tell people it was good. Uh, that's how we spread good PR. Uh, that that's how we get people onto the show. So hey, please, you may not like the show, you may not like me, but you know what? Help a help a good buddy out. I'm a I'm a what would you even call me? I'm a fucking entrepreneur trying to make shit work. You know that's that's yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that there either way. Episodes are released, um, I guess, twice a week now. This week it's going to be Wednesday and Friday. Um, next, next week, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. You're going to find out when I do. Well, not necessarily when I do, but you're going to find out next week what the schedule is going to be going forward. If I had to guess, we're going back to Tuesday and Thursday next week, but I did not anticipate having to do two episodes this week. I digress on that front. Um, moving back to twice a week. All right. Follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Uh, link will be in the description. So you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern black name. Um, at the very least my, my Twitter is linked down there. I mean, you can, you can try and follow my Instagram. It's one private and two, I don't, I don't hardly post anything on there. I just kind of like scroll through and, and look at the, the random dogs that the algorithm puts in front of my face. Um, yeah, a, that's about it. Maybe some maybe some landscape, some art. Uh, that being said, I don't hardly ever post on there. So hey, you can follow me if you want, but it's going to be a, a big old waste of your time. Um, either way, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put in all caps, business or show in the subject line uh, so I can categorize you accordingly. That's business or show, not business or show together. You know what I'm saying? Just business or show, not the full phrase, business or show. I think I probably just confused the hell out of you there and I've just talked about this point way too much. Anyways, thank you for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis and as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. One thing I learned this week to round us out and get us rolling into the next episode, uh, Tens of thousands of years ago, there was a breed of super cattle called Oryx. That's A-U-R-O-C-H-S, Oryx. Uh, They were as tall as a person and some of them weighed over 3,000 pounds. So basically as much as uh, your average car nowadays. Uh, They went extinct several hundred years ago uh, and they were mostly gone a thousand years before that even. I think the last Oryx died either in... Uh, 1400s or 1600s? I can't remember exactly what I was listening to. Uh, however, the cool part scientists are doing well, cool depending on your, your point of view, I suppose. Uh, scientists are doing the genetic voodoo that they are so no, well known for, and I mean, definitely not maligned for at any point. Um, they are getting very close to bringing back uh, the long extinct Oryx. So, at some point in the next few decades, You may be driving along I-40 on that beautiful stretch, looking at all those many, many windmills that Texas has in their state. And you might look over and you may see herds of enormous super cattle on one of these ranchers' uh, properties. Can't wait to taste all that beef right there, man. Either way, see you later.